Well, we come to that time of year where we celebrate the baby Jesus, born as king, born to bring peace between man and God. Yet in our rush to the manger, we can often miss the depth of the backstory behind the narrative that brings about the birth of Jesus. So with that in mind, over the next two sermons, we're going to slow things down a little bit and look at the prophecies and the verses and the people that build to that wonderful news that is Emmanuel, God with us. So this week we're going to be considering John the Baptist, his mission and his message. You see, John the Baptist could be described as the forerunner to Jesus, with the forerunner meaning something or someone that acts as an early and less advanced model for what will appear in the future. John the Baptist is not Jesus, but he will point to the gospel truth. Through John the Baptist, we learn to look back and see how God had planned all things and had a perfect timing and will bring about the good news of salvation in his perfect timing. Before continuing into application for our own lives this Christmas, we're going to first understand the background of John, the prophecies that speak of him, and most importantly, his mission and his message. And to help us, we'll be diving into God's Word. We're going to go to several passages today, concentrating mainly in Luke 1 and John 1. But it's probably handy to have a pen ready because we will be going to several passages as we build this picture towards Emmanuel, as we build the picture of the forerunner in John the Baptist and see why his message and mission are so important to the narrative that is Jesus coming to this earth as the baby that will come to sacrifice his life to bring the gospel of good news of salvation in him. So firstly, we're going to consider the background and birth of John the Baptist, heading to Luke chapter 1, where we find a detailed report of his birth and one that gives hint to God's plan in both John and in Jesus. We pick up in Luke chapter 1 and from verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. It's always important to note the historical significance of biblical timelines, for the Bible is a historical book and we find ourselves reading in the time of Herod, known as Herod the Great. He was king of Judea and Herod was an Edomite. Rather from Jacob, he came from Esau and he was known for spectacular building projects spanning several decades. Yet he was also known for his paranoid cruelty he would order mass killings in order to secure his own reign and his own kingdom. And it was during this time, the time of Herod the Great, that we're introduced to two further individuals. Zechariah was a priest from the people of Abijah, meaning he was one of the priestly nation that God had ordained to have duties within the temple courts. Zechariah was married to Elizabeth, and we note that they were both righteous and in the strictest sense, they were law keepers, abiding by the law of the Lord, obeying everything that the Lord had commanded. Yet something was unusual about this couple. They had no children, and now it seems no hope of children because they were advanced in years. Now, there was a stigma that came with childlessness. 
There was no hope of the Messiah coming through your bloodline, through your family, because you were not going to bear any children and therefore the Messiah wouldn't be coming from you. And so the people viewed childlessness as some form of punishment from God, which seems really odd, doesn't it? Because we have a couple here that are deemed as righteous, right before God, obedient before God, yet childless. And if we followed along with the people of God, it seems in some sense they're being punished for something. Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, only priests from a certain lineage were allowed to serve in the temple. And for a righteous man like Zechariah, it would have been a significant moment and a significant day of service in his life. Because at this time, it was estimated there could have been nearly 20,000 priests eligible to serve in the temple. So lots were cast, and when your name came up, it was your time and your moment to enter the temple. Now, Zechariah was uh, turning up because he had had his, his lot pulled out, and he was due to serve in the temple. And Zechariah was to burn incense in the temple in accordance to Exodus 30. He would do it both in the morning and in the evening. Now, while the priest burned this incense, the people would gather outside of the temple and pause in silence. They would all be praying before the Lord as they wait for the priest to re-emerge from the temple. So this was a huge privilege in Zechariah's life and one he would have taken seriously and one he would have remembered in all the days of his life. But clearly this day was going to be important for another reason. Verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of the incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord." And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." So Zechariah was standing in the temple, burning incense, doing his duty, praying for the people before the Lord and an angel appeared to him. And in the presence of this angel, he was both troubled and fearful. And the angel would have shone in bright might and power and purity. This was a significant moment and one that Zechariah must have immediately wondered and pondered over what would happen next. And so fear filled in his heart for this great sight was before him. And it seems though this angel came to deliver a personal matter. This was not a matter to be spoken out to the people. This was for Zechariah himself. The Lord had heard the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the Lord would grant them a child. The child would be called John and he would live in the Nazarite vow, a vow that focused his life individually and entirely on God. Their promised son would be divinely commissioned a task, one with utmost importance. John would turn the hearts of the people back to God and prepare the people for the coming Lord. 
that long-awaited-for Messiah. And we know from Matthew 17, 12 that his divine commissioning was actually ever truly understood by the people till much later, in fact, until after John died. But this was the moment that John was commissioned before he was even born to serve the Lord by preparing the people. Can you just imagine what would have been going through the mind of Zechariah? Wow, an angel before me. Double wow, God hears my prayers. Triple wow, he is promising me a son. Quadruple wow, my son is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. What a reaction. But is that how he reacted? Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be filled in their time. No quadruple while from Zechariah was there. Doubting is a major issue amongst the people of God. Eve was tricked by the doubting question. The people of God doubted their time to enter the promised land. Thomas doubted the resurrected Lord Jesus. And now we have Zechariah doubting the promise of the Lord. How could this be? Zechariah is old. Elizabeth is old. How could they ever have a child? And just notice how the angel responds to this. This is no ordinary angel. This is Gabriel. He is known as the hero of God, the messenger of God himself. And he ensures that people know the plans of the Lord. He appears to Daniel. He appears to Mary and he appears to Zechariah. And he has been dispatched by God so that the words of the Lord himself would be known to Zechariah. And notice the words are of good news. They're going to have a son. Believe it for the Lord is blessing them in this time. Yet there is a price for the unbelief of Zechariah. He would no longer be able to speak until God decides to lift the punishment when all these things come to pass. He didn't believe the words of God, so he wasn't allowed his own words. We must remember this, that God doesn't just freely bless and allow any old response Moses disobeyed the Lord and so he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. Nebuchadnezzar went mad because he didn't listen to the Lord. The people of Nineveh were destroyed. Why? Because they all responded in a manner less than worthy of the holiness that they are called to respond to. And so Zechariah, because he responded in doubt, would have to suffer the punishment that came from that doubting and he wouldn't be allowed to speak. Now, after this moment, I want you to skip along to verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden. There you have it. The Lord honoured the promise before Zechariah. Elizabeth conceived a child. Now, it's really important to note here, this was not like Mary, who was a virgin. This was through natural conception. But this gives us the backstory that the Lord indeed promised that John would come and it would come in a certain time for a certain purpose and it would all be fulfilling the Lord's commands. Yes, we have Zechariah doubting, but here we have Gabriel bringing that wonderful message. Now let's continue in Luke 1, but this time skipping quite ahead into verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. 
and she bore a son. And her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. And he made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. Now we have this really unusual situation. Elizabeth has given birth and in honouring of the law, again they were righteous before the Lord, so in honouring the law they took their son on the eighth day to be circumcised and officially named. It was the custom to name your child after someone within your family, specifically if it was a son after the father, giving nod to the lineage of the child. Yet this child was chosen by God and his name was chosen by God and his name would be John. Now through all of this confusion, Zechariah confirms the name, the name choice of John. And I want you to notice two things here. Upon his declaration, he can once again speak. He trusted the Lord, he obeyed him and he obeyed him by calling his son John. So once again, we're seeing both Elizabeth bringing John in true righteousness before God. We see Zechariah now trusting the Lord and obeying the Lord again in true righteousness. But second, look what then happens. He blesses God. He could have said anything. He could have done anything. He could have turned to his wife and his son and say, I love you. But what did he did? What was the first thing on Zechariah's mind? It was to praise and worship and bless the Lord. I do wonder, is that the first thing on our mind during life's ever-changing moments? Is the first thing we want to do is to praise and worship and bless the Lord? A real challenge there for us, isn't it? Remember, John is not Jesus, but he is promised as the one who would pave way for the Messiah. John was specially and divinely commissioned as a messenger of God. Verse 80 of Luke 1, And the child grew up and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. John grew from a child to an adult, and he waited for God's appointed time before bursting onto the scene, not as Jesus, but as the one who prepared the way for the Son of God. Now you'd be forgiven to thinking that verse 80 concludes the background of John. Here we have his birth, the angel declaring it would happen, it actually happening, his naming ceremony, and him growing up as an adult. Yet the word wilderness in verse 80 causes us to look back and see that John was more than a baby promised by Gabriel the angel. This was John, the eternally planned forerunner to the Son of God. Now to understand this, we need to go to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now as a king arrived at a new area or nation, there would be a prince or a high-ranking individual that would go ahead of the king and prepare the way. They would clear the road, they would clear the path, and if there was no road or path in existence, they would make sure that one was built. There was a, a role to ensure that the king could travel with ease and all the glory that he deserved. 
every obstacle had to be removed and there would be no exceptions. In modern day, think of a senior royal or a senior official traveling through a city. Often we would have police motorbikes going ahead, closing roads, removing all obstacles. It was essential for ease of transport and in some senses highlights the importance of that individual. Now in Isaiah, we are told that one would come before the Messiah and he would come from the wilderness and he would clear the way for Jesus. He would make straight the path, no obstacles and no exceptions, so that the Messiah could arrive in all glory and without obstacle. Now it's important to recognise that this person would come and pave way for salvation. For Jesus himself is our salvation. And so John, the, the, the messenger of God, the one that would prepare the way, was preparing the way for salvation. And I want you to notice there are three distinct roles for this messenger, for this person that would prepare. Firstly, it was a voice. This was a loud declaration, an abrupt speech, one to make the people listen. Wake up, prepare, the king is coming. Second, this voice would come from the wilderness. The voice would come from where the people were scattered out and without hope of salvation. So this booming voice would go out to the people where they are, would go out in the wilderness to shout and declare that the Lord was coming. And thirdly, the voice would cry out, prepare. It's nearly time. The Messiah is on his way. Get ready. He is coming. And in modern day, think of those police motorbikes with their sirens. Wake up. Get out of the way. He is coming in all his glory. The Messiah is going to arrive. Now, all of this is cemented in Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you delight Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. After this messenger that would come that would prepare the way, an eternal messenger would come, the one who would bring new covenant, the one called Jesus, and the one who everything will change by. And note this declaration in Malachi was one of the last things God said to his people 400 years before Jesus and John arrived. 400 years of silence. There is one coming that will prepare them for the Messiah. Then the Messiah will come. 400 years of silence. And then bang, there is John on the scene, crying out from the wilderness that the Lord would come. Do you see, this wasn't just God blessing a prayer request in Luke chapter 1. This was God bringing about his plan, paving the way for his son Jesus to be our salvation. This was no coincidence. This was centuries in the planning. John was divinely commissioned by God centuries before to be the messenger of God. John was the fulfilment of the Old Testament prophecy and upon the fulfilment of Isaiah 43 and Malachi 3.1, Jesus would now come in all his splendour as the one who brings salvation. Not only was this messenger in the wilderness planned, not only was the birth of John planned, but the mission and message of John was also planned. Let's head into John chapter 1 and read about this mission and message of John the Baptist. John 1 and from verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light 
but came to bear witness about the light. Isn't it wonderful how the Bible proves itself, backs itself up and underpins all that it says? Isaiah, Malachi, Luke, all confirmed in these verses of John's gospel and his account. John was the messenger and his mission would be clear, to be a witness. In other words, he was sent to proclaim the plan of God and to set in motion the will of the Lord. Now, as I've said several times now, John was not Jesus. He was not the light, but he would bear witness to the light or he would speak about the light or he would bring knowledge of the light. Now, we sing of that light at this time of year in that well-known song, Light of the World, You Stepped In and Down Into Darkness. It is the light that John bore witness to that we celebrate now at Christmas time. But as Christians, we celebrate this light each and every day. So we have John the Baptist prepared, John the Baptist bringing his singular mission to bear witness to Jesus, the light. Now, John achieved this mission in bearing witness of the light with three distinct messages. Number one, and the first one we find, is in John 1.29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John looks to Jesus and declares that he is the Lamb of God. John declares that he is the eternal sacrificial Lamb, one that would be given for the atonement of sin, not just a temporary atonement through the sacrificial system, but an eternal everlasting sacrificial lamb that we would find salvation through. It is through the lamb of God that the people would find true and everlasting salvation. John's message was one of eternal Passover, that Jesus would take the place of the lamb and so that the Lord's wrath would pass over us and that we would be saved through faith in Jesus. And I think it's really interesting to note here, though, that John was prophesying the death of Jesus. To be a sacrifice, to be the sacrificial lamb, to be the lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world, Jesus would have to be sacrificed. He would have to die. This was Jesus coming as king, one who would be born so that he might die. This is the first and clear message that John would preach. This is Jesus. This is the long awaited for Messiah. This is the one that will bring salvation. This is the one that will sacrifice himself for you. This is love that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. The second message that John gives is found in Matthew 3, 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The reign of Jesus is coming. It's not going to be world-orientated as some form of kingdom on this earth, but it would be focused on God. With this kingdom close, with this eternal kingdom about to reign, it was important for the people to repent from their sins and to repent from the offences they had committed against God. You see, bearing witness isn't just about declaring who Jesus is, but how we should respond to Jesus. So the message is clear. Jesus is coming. He will bring salvation. So humble yourself before God. Repent from your sin. Repent from the offences you have committed against God and enjoy salvation in the name of Jesus. Thirdly, the message that John brings is found in Matthew 3, 7. 
But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to this baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? With Jesus as the sacrificial lamb and our call to repentance, John now calls for the end of the superficial religious system. It was time to get right with God, not some form of legalistic, twisted law-keeping. This was a time to be right before God because there is a coming wrath, a coming judgment, one where either you will have everlasting life or everlasting unquenchable fire. Jesus is bringing that judgment and it's time to get right before God. You see, in all of this, John was planned. John had a mission and John had a message and every single part of it pointed to Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And John continued this mission and message until his death recorded in Mark 6. He gave his life to God. He was obedient to God. He was preparing the way for Jesus. You see, John isn't just an add-on character to the nativity story. He is fundamentally essential to the nativity story. Why? Because God said so. More than that, God ordained it before it happened. God ordained it centuries before it happened. This was the salvation plan. Messenger first, then the Messiah. And John was that messenger. Now, as we come to some kind of closing applications today, it's important for us to take this wonderful uh, Christmas part of the story that John the Baptist was sent, learning about him being the forerunner before Jesus, and to then apply that to our lives and to see how it impacts our life in December 2020, to see how it impacts our Advent season and to see what we are taught through God's word at this time of year. And I have three very simple, clear things for you to to think upon and ponder over in the coming days and weeks. Uh, Firstly, look back and see God. Look back and see God. As we look back in uh, Luke 1, Malachi 3, Isaiah 40, we saw how God had everything planned for centuries before it even happened. We would do well to look back in our lives and see how God is guiding and was guiding us. I was speaking to someone recently who said, I know now that back then God was working in my life. I know now that back then God was working in my life. When you look back, where do you see God? What has he done in your life? How has you brought? How has he brought you to where you are now? I've said this before in the testimony that I've shared, that when I look back, I don't look upon my father's death when I was 13 as something that was a negative experience. It was a horrible time and a real tough time. But when I look back, I see that God was working in my life then, that God was instilling in my heart that we're not promised tomorrow and that I've got to serve him with everything I've got every day of my life, not looking to tomorrow, but just serving God today with all I have. God was preparing me as a 13-year-old boy for ministry and he prepared me through one of the greatest trials of my life. When you look back, what has God been doing in your life? Nothing's a mistake. Nothing caught God by surprise. How has he been been preparing you for where you are now? And as you look at that, how is God preparing you now for the future? What in your circumstances now is God preparing in your life so that you're ready for the task that is set before you? It would be good of us to ponder over what God has done in our lives and see where we're going in the coming weeks, months 
and years. Secondly, sometimes a forerunner, sometimes a forerunner. John is not Jesus. He is not remotely as powerful and absolutely no claim to being a deity, yet he is the essential forerunner to Jesus. Now, when we apply that principle to the church, we can see the importance of serving in the church. You see, many of us want to be the person that is outspoken. Many of us want our voices heard. Many of us want those upfront roles. Yet sometimes the Lord calls you to be a forerunner. I was speaking recently with a group of pastors and we were agreeing that sometimes we see great blessing in our ministries in churches, but sometimes we are the forerunner for the next guy. We have to humble ourselves to recognise that this is not our day, this is not our time, this is not your day, this is not your time. It is the Lord's day and the Lord's timing and the Lord's will. We're to be constantly pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Kingdom of God, our salvation. For we seek his kingdom built and yes, sometimes we don't see fruit from our labour. Yes, sometimes we have to serve quietly in the background, yet the Lord sees it all. He has planned all things and we as the church are to do one thing only, point to Jesus. We are forerunners. We are not the highlight. We are not the focus. It's not our voice, my day, your day. It's not our plan, your plan. It is Jesus all for Jesus, all the time, in everything we do. So we may not be the forerunner to Christ coming to bring salvation, but we can be the forerunner to the message of the gospel. Our very lives are preparing people to see King Jesus. And if you are not doing that, then you're trying to elevate yourself to Jesus. And just like John, you are not Jesus. We are messengers, ambassadors, witnesses to the gospel message that has transformed our hearts and our lives. And that is what we do this Christmas time. Not about the trees, not about the presents, not about COVID, not about any of these things. It is about King Jesus and the salvation he brings. And that brings me on to my third and final point. Good news, Jesus. Good news, Jesus. That was the message of John, wasn't it? Jesus is coming. And it's good news, for in Jesus we find salvation, in Jesus we find hope, in Jesus we find mercy and grace, in Jesus we find the death of sin and the gift of life, in Jesus we find victory over Satan, in Jesus we find strength for each day, in Jesus we find that protecting shield through the trials, in Jesus we know the assurance of our salvation, in Jesus we know the security of God, and in Jesus we find the selfless and sacrificial love like no other. So friends, this Advent season, we have good news and his name is Jesus. Look back and see how he has brought you to him. Look at your life and see how you are a forerunner, an ambassador and a witness to help expand his kingdom. And look at your life and see how Jesus truly is the best news to impact your life. Let's pray together. Father, we want to glorify you and praise you and bless you like Zechariah did, for Jesus truly is good news. 
And so, Father, we pray that this Christmas time, more and more and more souls would know you as Lord and Saviour. Father, we pray that Jesus would be at the forefront of our message, that we would be forerunners, ambassadors, witnesses to the gospel message. Not our name great, but Jesus' name great. Not our ministry great, but Jesus' salvation story, amazing, wonderful, true. And Father, we pray that many lives would be impacted, that this year your kingdom would expand exponentially and we would see souls saved for Jesus Christ. And Father, for all those watching today who are struggling in this season, Father, let them see that for centuries of old you have planned your way and you are still with them in this time. You're strengthening them, you're protecting them, you're holding them, you're sustaining them. Father, lift their very souls to you so that they would be encouraged in this time. And so, Father, we pray in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. Amen.